All right. Hello, everybody. All right. I think I'm recording now. So what are we doing? Well, ordinarily, this is the time when we have a hangout here on Deep Astronomy Channel, but I don't have one scheduled this week. And so I was getting ready to do a podcast. Today's kind of become podcast day. I have two podcasts, one on Deep Astronomy and one called Space Junk, both of which are at on available on Anchor, but they're also available anywhere. So if you go anchor.fm slash Deep Astronomy, you'll see the podcast. So I'm recording the podcast now. I'm streaming it as an, as an experiment because I want to uh, see if maybe I can get some interaction from people who are watching this live and I can work that into the podcast. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. If there's a lot of trolls and stuff, I may not do this again, but I'll try it today since really I had nothing to lose and I am recording now. So let me just double check that I am in fact recording. Yes, I am. Very good. Okay. So today's top, so, so let me start recording. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Deep Astronomy Show. My name is Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space. And if you are listening to this podcast, then you are a part of one of the fastest growing podcasts on the internet because we cover all topics here. And it's all about everything from astronomy to space flight to space, space exploration. And today we're going to be talking about life in the universe. And I'm going to be talking about specifically the argument about why statistical arguments for life in the universe do not convince me that we, that the life, that there is life everywhere uh, in, in the heavens. And so I'll explain that in just a minute. But before I get started, I want to start with some feedback uh, we got last week. Last week, Carol and I did a podcast on women in science, and we got a lot of feedback on that as we did it. And I want to respond to some of that right now. Um, we got some comments all over the place. Some of them were awful, and I just deleted and banned them because who needs this stuff? But um, some of the comments were along the lines. A lot of it wasn't positive. Some of it was. Now, the point of the podcast was to talk about the nature of the field of science as it relates to women. And of course, there's a lot of aspects to this very complicated topic, but the, the, some of the responses we got show really just how far we still have to go on a lot of this. Uh, for example, WCM 5150 commented, this is wrong. Nobody cares about the nature of a person's genitalia in science, period. Okay. So that was somebody's response to it. Another one was, uh, that then I deleted this because he got a little bit, um, belligerent on on my channel so i just you know who needs that so uh, but there were other comments along the lines of that well why are you talking about promoting women in science uh, you know over more qualified people that might be white men also applying for the jobs the implication being that the uh the only real qualified people were white men and that we were going to give the job we were advocating giving the job instead to a lower qualified uh, woman or a person of color and of course that's not what we were advocating at all uh, so when we talk about this we were you know we tried to <laughs> discuss it openly but there was a lot of people who, who felt like what we were trying to do was just take unqualified women and make them and, and give them a chance in science and of course that's not that misses the point entirely. What that implies, though, comments like that, is that the only qualification 
uh, the only qualified applicants for, for, for jobs in science would be from white men. <laughs> That's the implication, because if we're giving it to women, then obviously a qualified white man is not getting the job. And of course, we weren't advocating anything of the sort. What we were, the point we were trying to make was that there are equally qualified, if not more qualified people in science that for the, the, the roles in science that could go to women and minorities, but that they are facing barriers to getting those jobs due to cultural issues and, and a lot of stuff that science has a problem with. So that was the point we were trying to make there. What we are not saying, give jobs to less qualified women. We are saying, give them to equally, if not more qualified women and open those opportunities up to them. That was the point we were trying to make. And of course, on YouTube, things got a little bit out of control and just stupid. So um, watch the podcast, listen to the podcast if you haven't already and give me and I don't even know if I want to ask you for your thoughts, but we are we are getting, you know, everybody is just getting defensive over all kinds of stuff these days. And already I can see um, uh, Dan Stone is like already commenting on my live chat, not here for political stuff. Are we the only ones in the universe? Poli politics are such a crappy distraction. Uh, that's from old kid. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about women in science. That's what I was talking about last week. And I'm responding to comments people made. Uh, <laughs> never mind. All right. Uh, uh, on to today's topic. So life in the universe. I've been doing podcasts for a uh, better part of over a year now. And, and last week we recorded a, a podcast with Paul Sutter. And before that, we have Phil Plate and other people who other uh, astronomers and whatnot on our, on our space junk podcast. And I always ask the same question. What do you think about the ubiquity of life in the universe? Do you think that life is common? And the, the point of that conversation is I want to get, you know, I want to try to get what people think about life in the universe, because whenever I'm talking about this topic, the first thing we always hear about are the statistical arguments. And we have the Drake equation, which is this toy that we can play with. It's a, an equation that we can plug numbers in and out comes an answer. And, you know, it's, it's very fun to kind of play with it, but it's nothing more than really a mathematical toy to kind of get our minds around the numbers in the universe. But the argument that I always hear goes something like this. Well, there are hundreds of thousands, billions of stars in our universe or in our galaxy. And there are hundreds of billions and trillions of galaxies in the universe itself. And surely with, with all of those numbers, there must be life in the universe. Of course there must be. It's just, it, it, it's just impossible to imagine that there isn't life in the universe. And I find those arguments less than compelling because there and I'll get to why in just a minute, but we we've learned a lot about the universe over time, ever, especially since the Drake equation came out. And one of the numbers that we've gotten a better handle on is FP. That's the term in the Drake equation that says the fraction of stars that have planets in orbit around them. That's an important number because it's hard to have life without planets. And We've got a better handle on that thanks to Kepler and TESS and, uh, uh, you know, Hubble, lots of and all the ground-based observatories and ground-based surveys that are out there uh, that are looking at finding other planets around other stars. So 
with the Milky Way, the number turns out to be that there's about 1.6 planets around every star on average in our Milky Way. That's a lot. That's a lot of planets. And if you consider we've got 300 or so billion stars in our galaxy, you know, then you're looking at a half a trillion planets. Some of those are probably capable of harboring life. Uh, some of them might be uh, like Earth. They might have water on them, and we might be able to enjoy lots of planets with lots of life on it. And that's true. Uh, but that's a statistical argument. Those are all of these things are statistics on probability. And I, I, I agree that, that this is a, an important way to look at the problem, but it's not the only way. And here's why it doesn't convince me. Most astronomers and cosmologists and scientists and general physicists will tell you that we live in an improbable universe. And what do they mean by that? <laughs> well, the question of why is there something rather than nothing is a question that's starting to really bug a lot of physicists. My, and I'm not a physicist, but myself included, it bothers me. Why is the universe the way it is? Why is it so finely tuned, apparently, to human beings living on it? It's called that, that argument is called the anthropic principle, which if you've ever read it, it's the most nonsensical, stupid thing I've ever heard. The anthropic principle is basically, well, the universe is the way it is because we live in it. And, and that makes zero, it, it makes, not only does it make zero sense, but it also doesn't do anything to shed any knowledge on the problem. Okay. The universe is the way it is because we live in it. That statement, it, you know, it, it doesn't contribute any, any, for any, any information to us. So the anth anthropic principle, I don't, I don't, it, it's just, it does nothing to make me to answer the problem of why is there something rather than nothing? Why is the universe the way it is? Think about the way gravity works, the way, you know, everything down to the mass of the electron and the behavior of all the particles in the standard model, the fact that the universe is expanding the way it is, uh, that it started with a big bang and that stars shine the way they do and that life, at least on our planet, can, can grow and thrive. Why is it that way? And the answer isn't that simple. It's not, it's not something that, that you can just say, well, it is the way it is. The answer of why uh, the universe and why we have something rather than nothing is something that isn't very satisfactorily answered by science and physics. So the conclusion is, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of what I'm talking about now from Sean Carroll, who happens to be someone I admire, who's a cosmologist at, um, at Caltech, a very um, remarkable person. I, I love talking to him and I love, um, I love listening to, you know, reading his work is, is there are lots of things that have to happen to make the universe the way it is. And the statement that we live in an improbable universe is one that I've heard many times from many people. Well, okay. All of the stuff that came together in the universe came together in a way that we are here and that most physicists agree is an improbable situation. Well, if we live in an improbable universe, the universe itself, the thing that we are housed in is an improbable situation, then what does that say about other things? Well, Richard Dawkins, for example, uses the fact that we live in an improbable universe to prove that there is no God. Now, he says, because we live in an improbable universe, to suggest that there is a creator of that universe is an even more improbable idea 
the fact that the creator is even more improbable than the universe itself somehow proves that there is no God. I read that book three times, The God Delusion, and I never figured out how we got there from we live in an improbable universe to God is more improbable than our improbable universe, therefore God does not exist. I never, it, doesn't, it didn't make sense to me why an improbable God proved that it didn't exist, but that's a topic for another podcast. But he already allows for improbable things, our universe. It is improbable. We don't know how, uh, you know, the, the fact that all of this came together seems highly unlikely in the, based on the, on the science that we know about the universe. So if the universe itself is already improbable, we know improbable things can happen because the universe is here. Forget what that means about the existence of God. I don't think that it follows that God doesn't exist just because we live in an improbable universe. But that, but going back to my statistical argument of, well, there are hundreds of billions of stars in our Milky Way. The Milky Way galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe. Then if you add all of that up, even if only a tiny fraction of those planets had life on it, the chances are pretty high. Or if you, you know, even on, only a tiny fraction of those planets could have life on it. It's not unheard of. And for a long time, that was enough for me. I agreed with that. In fact, the very first video I ever posted on YouTube, the Hubble Deep Field, I made that statement myself. I said, with you know, when if you look back at my very first video on the Hubble Deep Field, I, I said, and I'm paraphrasing myself, that of all of the planets and stars and galaxies in the universe, it seems almost absurd that we are the only life in the universe. And I'm glad I said almost absurd. I took flag forward at the time. But I'm glad I said almost absurd because I, I'm taking back some of this now. So I used to believe this. Statistics say, sure, there should be life in the universe all over the place. But the universe itself is improbable. And that allows for improbable things to happen. So even though statistically it is reasonable to think that there is other life in the universe... It is also reasonable to think that there is none besides ourselves in the universe. That is possible. And the only, and here's what will change my mind. Here is how I, right now, the jury's out. I'm not convinced that life is everywhere. I believe that it's possible that simple life may evolve um, from a primordial ooze. If you add up all of the building blocks of life, and you put them together, I believe you will get increasingly more complicated chemistry until finally you get something that goes from simple chemistry to organic chemistry and on the, all the way up the, ch the chain until finally you get something that resembles what we would call life. Okay, I believe that's not so hard. I used to think, and I've been corrected on this by many people, that it was like a spark, that when we had all the ingredients on a planet together to create life and something sparked life to exist. It doesn't happen that way. According to the, what bi biologists have told me, it's more of a continuum where you get comp more complicated chemistry until you get something that metabolizes, reproduces, and does all the things that we consider a living organism to do. But so far we only know that that's happened on one planet. And even then we don't know exactly how life got here. 
We can't really definitively say life on this planet arose from the primordial conditions of the early Earth and came up through this more complicated chemistry, or did it get here from panspermia? Did it come here from somewhere else, going through all that chemistry somewhere else and land here? We don't know. We just don't know how life even started on this planet. So, given all of these things we don't know, it makes sense to me that we think about the fact that it may not happen anywhere else. But here's what will convince me otherwise. If we can find life somewhere else, preferably in our own solar system, whether it's Mars, whether it's Europa, whether it's Enceladus, wherever, and it can be shown to have started there on Mars, on Enceladus, on Europa, then we have an instance where life arose in two different places in the same solar system, independent of each other, then I will buy your statistical argument. Life is probably everywhere. But until then, I'm leaving open the possibility that it's nowhere else but here. Why? Because improbable things happen. This universe is improbable. All physicists <laughs> will agree to that. Astronomers, everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot, agree that the universe is improbable. Why is there something rather than nothing is a question that's very hard to answer. And right now we don't have a good one. And other things like singularities, like black holes, and more, most particularly the Big Bang singularity, is a big problem for physics right now. They have to come up with, well, what caused the Big Bang? And so these issues are all being wrestled with. A lot of them are improbable. So improbable things happen in the universe. And the fact that we could be the only ones is also possible. I will be convinced otherwise. If we find life in our own solar system, independent of our own coming up here, then I think we're in trouble in a different way. And if you've ever heard me talk about a different, about a great filter, you know what I'm talking about, but I actually think it's bad news in, in another way. If we find life independent somewhere else, I'll talk about that in another podcast. All right. So, um, that's, that's my little diatribe on life in the universe. I'm noticing that the top, the chat is going crazy. And uh, I hope it's not full of trolls, but let me see if I can read a couple. Uh, where's my cursor? Oh, there it is. All right. Um, capital H. I thought the anthropic principle is that we only expect to find ourselves in a universe that supports our life, even if we, even if we can only know a tiny sliver of what we know so far. Yeah, okay, but it's still equally um it's still equally nonsensical in my opinion. The and the anthropic principle I in my opinion, no matter how you state it, doesn't help define what why the universe is the way it is. It's just a statement of the obvious. Um it could be silicone, that's what Peter Quinn says. Sure, sure could be. Um superluminal uh the di oh, hang on let me uh, Hans Milling, our moon is important to sustaining life. Also, the gravitational forces make the Earth cool slower, the magnetic field as well. So the composition of the planet is important. Yes, 
Um, they're aerial adventure. There are most definitely intelligent life out there. The distances make it impossible to interact with any of them. Sad, but true. Well, that goes to the question of the Fermi paradox, doesn't it? Which is something that is hard to ignore. Uh, the Fermi paradox says that we should have heard from people by now, um, uh, if there are other technological civilizations in the Milky Way, the, the Milky Way is old enough to have harbored many, many technological civilizations. So where is everybody? And uh, that's a question that is uh, we have to answer. We haven't come up with a satisfactory answer to it. Where is everybody? Why isn't the universe teeming with life? And that, that's also detrimental to the statistical argument I keep saying. People say, well, there's all these stars. There's all these planets. Uh, of course there's life elsewhere. Well, no. It isn't, you know, common sense may tell you that, but common sense says a lot of things. Common sense tells you that, you know, if you look out on a flat plane, that the earth isn't, that the earth isn't round, but it is round. So, I mean, the common sense fails us a lot of times. We can't rely on that to make these, these arguments the same as, and if you've ever heard anything describing quantum mechanics, common sense goes right out the window. So I'm not, I don't want to hear about common sense, anything about with, with this, uh, well, surely it, it must be because it makes common sense. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. And, uh, the statistical argument to me is one of, if there, if there are so many things out there that can harbor life, the universe should be a pretty busy place. Even if only a small fraction of those planets had life in them. Now, Maybe the, everybody's right. Everybody, everybody says, well, we haven't been looking very long. We don't have the right technology to see it. Um, those are all good points, but we should have, shouldn't we have seen something by now? Shouldn't we have detected something within our own galaxy? 300 to 700, you know, billion stars, trillion of stars in our galaxy, a lot of stars. Okay, and on average, we know because of Kepler, there are 1.6 planets around every single star. On average, they're not around actually every single star. So that puts us at almost 2 trillion planets in our galaxy. So where are they? Where's anything? And so it's possible that th there isn't anything else. It's improbable, but we've already said that improbabilities do not preclude them from happening. Okay. We live in an improbable universe. So that's what I think There's most. So to say there's most definitely intelligent life out there is a belief that is something you wish to be true, but we don't know it to be true. You can't just factor in space. You have, this is no good for robot. You can't just factor space. You have to factor in time. Of course, you have to be looking at a time when people are transmitting. If you miss, then you don't. But again, you don't you don't cross you don't see each other. But again, that's <laughs> if you're talking statistics, trillions of planets it should happen. We should be able to see and we should be able to see something by now, even relics. Okay, no good for robot also says it's improbable to win Powerball, but it's still around 300 million to one but there are billions of stars and galaxies so is your point that somebody wins and the answer is yeah we won we won the lottery let's see sean carroll is the best he really is if you haven't listened to his podcast mindscape you need to go check it out um all right uh 
Greg Gardner, would it be possible that images we see of distant galaxies might be nothing more than just reflections bounced off highly gravitational fields? Uh, so if true, how many galaxies might we be able to discount as reflections? No, I don't think that's true, Greg. Um, the galaxies that we see uh, are emission, they are emitting light, and they're not reflections off of gravitational fields. What we do see with galaxies, distant galaxies, is gravitational lensing. That is where something massive, like a galaxy cluster in between us and a distant galaxy, the light from that distant galaxy passes through a galaxy cluster and gets bent and distorted and twisted and squished and mushed and made up of all kinds of different things. And, and when we finally see it, we see this long, smooshed out, flat galaxy shape. That happens, but reflections off of what? So, no, they're not reflections. We see the actual galaxies out there. Um, okay, Sundar sub, uh, sub, subramanium, subramanium, sorry if I'm screwing that up. Um, are you talking about civilizations or just any form of life? I'm talking about all any form of life whatsoever, even simple stuff. I think it's more it's easier to make life from nothing than I used to think it was. I thought that was a very hard thing to do. I thought that going from things that you know primordial oozes and and soups to things that were suddenly life. I thought that step was hard. But now after I've talked to a lot of biologists and, and people I've come to realize that that's not how it works. I was thinking about it, like I said, as a spark and that's not what happens. Instead, what tends to happen is this more uh, increased um, level of chemistry, more complicated chemistry as things evolve on until eventually you get something resembling life in its earliest stages. And then, it, then evolution takes over and goes from there. I think that's probably a lot easier now than I used to. Civilizations, I don't know. I mean, using the only data point we have as a guide, um, we may not be out of the woods yet ourselves. If that step that I just said was is easy, creating life from nothing, then I was kind of hopeful that that was a hard step because that means that getting over into that step and creating life from nothing meant that we had already passed that hurdle and we're fine. We're out of the woods. But if Fermi is right and there is a paradox or there isn't anybody else out there, then uh, that means something killed them off or something got in the way that they no longer were able to get past some level of their development. And we may yet face that, whatever it was. It's called a great filter. And we may not be out of the woods yet. Um, we would have been out of the woods if the hard part was creating life in the beginning from nothing. But now that that's probably easier than I think it was, it probably, it might be that we are still faced with something else like some technological disaster. Maybe we kill ourselves off as a technology, as a technological civilization, not as a species with climate change. I mean, who knows? But the, the, um, uh, the point is that many of you are just saying there is life. Okay, fine. You mean, there's life out there. Fine. Um, but you're just saying things you don't know. You, you, you hope there is, but you don't know for sure. And no, none of us do. Superluminal people often say we cannot make any judgments about possible alien life because we only have a data point of one. But I disagree. I think we can make educated guesses. Well, what are they? 
What are your educated guesses? Are you going to throw statistics at me again? Are you going to say, well, there's just so many stars out there? That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't settle it. Okay. Even in quantum mechanics, when you, you know, Schrodinger's cat is both dead and alive until you collapse that wave function, <laughs> all things are possible until it isn't. So, you know, I, you, you, statistics don't help you to say that the Schrodinger's cat is both dead and alive does not answer the question. Does it? It's only when you look and you collapse the wave function that you get an answer. So what educated guess can you make? You can say, well, it's probable. Life in the universe is probable because there are so many things about the universe. There are so many planets. We know that there are so many situations in which life can thrive. And this will improve as we get more information about the universe. As we, We've already learned about the number of planets out there. That was something we didn't know 25 years ago. Now we've got to find out something about the ubiquity of life. And astrobiology is a brand new science. So it's learning. It's trying. But how easy is it to make life somewhere else? How, how can it thrive? These are all questions we've got to get a better handle on before we can make more better educated guesses. Right now, the only educated guess we can make is that it's probable. Unless you can tell me something else, because I don't know uh, what else it could be. Okay, well, I think I've exhausted this. Um, is it possible we're in a simulation? This is for no good for robot. Yeah, that's become a popular way of um, that's become a popular way of thinking about the universe we live in. And if you like string theory, then then you're going to love the idea that we're in a simulation because string theory says that you know all universes are possible. There's a there's a cosmic landscape out there, and that every time you make a decision, whether it's to go to the bathroom or not go to the bathroom, branches open up, and an infinite number of yous exist in an infinite number of universes. And to me, that's about as satisfying as as uh, is saying that there is a god, because it doesn't. It's it it it, it to say everything is possible. <laughs> Does and we can't we can't observe all of those things that are possible uh, is is useless information. Um, let's see. Uh, Kuzo is saying yes. Uh, statistics is useless if no proof. Saying maybe there's life or we're probably alone is useless. Just a personal feeling. Hope soon we find life. Yes, we. It right now it's all wishful thinking. And I am telling you that I'm not convinced by these statistical arguments. It's possible and, and, and may not be likely, but it's possible that we could be it in the universe. And until we learn more, I don't want to hear any more about the Drake equation. It's a toy and that's about all. And, and it doesn't tell us much useful information. Um, let's see. I was something else that, that uh, I wanted to find. Where'd it go? Superluminal. Here it is. Uh, Superluminal's question. Don't Tony, do you think we can make educated guesses based on convergent evolution? For example, eyes have evolved independently 18 different, 18 times, limbs, wings, etc. Wouldn't alien evolution form these two? Um, convergent evolution. Eyes have independent, have evolved independently. I don't know how to really answer that. I'm not, I'm not an expert on evolution, but you, so I guess you're saying that because we evolved here uh, 18 and, and that eyes have evolved 18 different times independently of each other on this planet, then other things can evolve independently too. Yes. Okay. 
Sure. I, I can't argue. That's not a statement I can argue with. That's possible. Um, it's not convincing to me uh, that that is, it's not a convincing argument that life exists elsewhere. But okay, uh, you could do that, I suppose. We do not know what uh, this is from Sareem's. Um, we do not know what dark matter is or what its properties are, and we want to explain life. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I know. Uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try, though. Um, and we, there, there is a lot of about the universe we don't know. And I guess that's my point. Um, improbable things happen. And that's, that's something I just want to stick in your head if you don't take anything else from my argument. The fact that the universe we live in is considered by anybody who knows anything about the universe to be improbable, and it is concerning to scientists about why there is stuff in this universe, then, you know, then we should think about this more. Improbable things happen. It's entirely possible that we are the only life in the universe. And I'll leave you with that. All right. I want to thank you all for listening to my humble little podcast. If you can, please subscribe to it. And uh, you can find us on anchor.fm slash deep astronomy. My name is Tony Darnell, and I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Thank you.